Welcome to the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast, your guide to help you manage life, money, and multiples. Each episode, host Paul Fenner, Tama Capital's president and founder, and the proud parent of four amazing children, including one set of triplets, will provide insights on successfully sustaining an active lifestyle, career, and family through comprehensive wealth management strategies, financial education, and lifestyle planning specific to parents raising twins, triplets, and more. Learn more, subscribe to the show, or connect with Paul at TamaCapital.com. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Tama may retain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. How many times per day do you tell someone that you're busy? How often do you wish you had more time? Laura Vanderkam is the author of several time management and productivity books and whose TED Talk has been viewed more than 12 million times. She's also a wife and mother to five kids, so I believe she would know a thing or two about time and being busy. Throughout our conversation, Laura and I touched on several topics that go beyond what you would traditionally think about when it comes to time management or productivity. As Laura discusses, Life shouldn't be about a series of hacks to save us more time, but instead, we should focus on what we want to do with the time we have. I believe that Laura's recent book, The New Corner Office, How the Most Successful People Work from Home, is a must-read for those of you who have transitioned from working in an office to working at home. Laura and I discuss why knowing when to stop your day is just as important as when you start it. We also talk about the best way to structure your day which is to match the right work to the right time, and how bringing in a little adventure can help reduce the stress of working from home. When we say we don't have time, what we are really saying is that this is not a priority. Time is highly elastic, which means it stretches to whatever we put into it. Please enjoy my conversation with Laura Vanderkam. So, Laura Vanderkam, welcome to the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. I have been uh, anxiously awaiting this conversation. I've been I've been on you for a while to try to get you on, and and I know the life you live is. Uh, I know we don't like to wor- use the term busy, but uh, I know you got a full slate. So I really appreciate you uh, making the time and making me a priority, and our listeners to uh, be on the show today. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. So I think the the place I want to start, Laura, is to give our audience, um, if they if they haven't been one of the 12 million people to watch your TED Talk, um, tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and how you got into writing. Yeah, well, I write books on time management and productivity, and I speak about that topic as well. I have a, a few podcasts devoted to the topic of making more of our time. I'm always trying to help people spend more time on the things that matter and less time on the things that don't. Uh, Because, you know, ultimately we only have so much time. And so we want to make sure that we are spending our hours in ways that are meaningful or enjoyable for ourselves or the people we care about. So that's what I'm on a mission to do. So how I initially probably found you somehow and got a hold of your uh, TED Talk, which I'll link to in our show notes, But what really sparked my interest in wanting to have this conversation with you is the book that you wrote, The New Corner Office. And I don't think you could have timed that one better with this pandemic because it ties into a lot of conversations I have with uh, families, especially parents, you know, raising 
you know, kids and trying to balance um, a day job as well. So can you kind of lay, you know, talk us through um, your book and, and what it's about? And I'll dive into a couple of specific questions. I know some audience members have, have reached out to ask about the book. Yeah, well, the new corner office is looking at how we can um, successfully and productively work from home. And certainly when the pandemic began, um, I mean, many people had some experience working from home. A lot of organizations let you do it on the occasional Friday, um, but it wasn't sort of widely adopted, even though you know, as we see, there, there's not really a whole lot of technology that exists now in 2022 that didn't in 2020. Um, you know, people could have been working from home as we have been for the past two years a lot more beforehand. Um, it's just there wasn't this recognized need for it. But the New Corner Office um, discusses how to structure your day um, if you are working from home and not part of, you know, a, a structure of an organization. It talks about how to manage your energy, to how to get the rhythm of a work from home day right, um, how to maintain your network, um, to have little adventures, even if you're not leaving your house very often, uh, how to take care of your well-being. Um, because even though working from home may be associated with better work-life balance, it's not automatic. You have to take some steps to make sure um, that you are protecting your health and well-being um, while building your you know, empire from your new corner office. And I think that's that's the area where I want to go first is the question that I got most when people found out I was going to have you on is ask Laura how to build structure so that you're not working. Some people are working more now that they're working from home rather than they than they were when they were actually working in an office. And part of that is because those boundaries and I know a lot of us are tied 24 seven to our phone. But a lot of those boundaries between work and home dissipated uh, when the pandemic came and we found ourselves working at home all the time and actually working a lot more hours. Yeah, well, the boundaries were there and and they were sort of just automatic. I mean, people didn't think about them. Um, And as you said, it's not that they were impermeable. I mean, somebody, you know, your boss can call you at home. They can send you emails at any point of day. I mean, they could call you at home back in the 1950s. Like this is not new. Um, But there is sort of a mindset about those boundaries um, that sort of influence how people behave. But you can create boundaries for yourself too. And again, because these are mostly mental uh, you know, boundaries and, and a mindset, it, it's easier than you might think. Um, many people benefit from having some sort of opening ritual um, to their work day, something that lets them know I am in work mode now. I mean, it can be very simple. It can be like, I get my cup of coffee in my favorite mug. I walk into my office, I shut the door, I turn on this particular light, open my planner, and now I am in work mode, right? But, or it could be more elaborate. I mean, some people will do a fake commute of like running an errand so that they've gotten out of the house and come back. Um, you know, obviously, if you're bringing your kids to school, that makes more sense. Uh, but, you know, not everyone has that. Uh, so, you know, something to start the day. Um, it also helps to have something to end the day. Um, so you can reverse whatever fake commute you did in the morning. You can um, call a colleague to say goodbye. Maybe it's, you know, writing your to-do list for tomorrow, um, playing a goodbye song. I don't, I don't know. Um, but something that, again, tells you, okay, I am transitioning out of work mode. And, you know, because time matters less, I think, when we're working from home, there's, there's fewer of these time norms that get established in an office 
it's, it's more important to be like, well, what would constitute a good day? So not, is it five o'clock? Like, there's really no point of like, if you're done sitting at your desk from, you know, 4.30 to 5, scrolling around, checking email pointlessly, being okay, well, no, you know, I'm riding out the time till I can punch out. Like, you're not punching out. We're, we're doing knowledge work. You don't need to punch out of anything. Um, but to this sort of set up, like, well, what would I accomplish on a good day? These are my objectives for today. And when I have done those objectives, my day can be done because by definition, I have had a good day because I have done whatever sort of three to five objectives I've, I've set for this time. Um, and if all of that fails and you're still having like this weird world where you're half working and half not into the evening and it's like not really leisure, but it's not really productive work either. It helps to put something in your personal life that will force you to stop. Now, again, if you have kids that, it's pretty obvious, like somebody has to feed them at some point, right? Like, you know, you, you're probably not going to stay in there all night and let them go completely feral. Um, but if, that is if, tempting, though, sometimes. It's tempting. <laughs> well, and as they get older, maybe you can. But uh, <laughs> if they're young enough, somebody eventually needs to look after them. Um, but if, if that's not part of your life, like put something else in there. Maybe it's a regular volunteering gig. Maybe it's that you meet a running club at six o'clock, two nights a week. Um, you go to a, a class at the gym. Um, maybe it's a standing, you know, Zoom call with your college buddies that you do Tuesday at seven o'clock. But something, you know, that is in your life to say, okay, now work is done because I have something else that I am committed to doing. Yeah, I that was actually you kind of hit the nail on the head for me personally during the pandemic. And actually, even even now, like I have a pretty hard cutoff at four o'clock every day because I go and get my kids off the bus. And I'm a huge Cal New, Newport fan. And, you know, one of the things that Cal always kind of preaches to is kind of same line as same same theory as what you just laid out where, you know, put what you need to do for the day and then kind of you know, work backwards from a time standpoint. And so that's one of the things that I've had to try to, to start doing for the last couple of years. Um, I know my wife, Teresa, she's still really struggling with it. And so she wanted to make sure I got that question out to you. Um, <laughs> so, you know, what is, and this is, and this goes back to, I think the book I read by Dan Pink, when that you touched on is when you're structuring your day, what's the best way to find the, the rhythm, if you will, that helps you do certain things in one part of the day better than another part of the day. Of the day. Yeah, well, you really want to get the rhythm right. And while this will look different for everybody, um, there's certain commonalities that many people are dealing with. I mean, so you want to match the right work to the right time. And most of us have more discipline and energy and focus in the morning. You have that first cup of coffee you are ready to conquer the world. You do not feel that way at 3 p.m. At 3 p.m., you do not feel like you are going to conquer the world. You are feeling like you would like to take a nap. So the mistake people make is that they, you know, start their work day and they're like, I'm going to clear the decks. I'm going to get all this little stuff behind me, you know, cross it off my list so that then I can focus on my big, you know, meaty tasks for the day. And it, it sounds like, like that would work, but it just doesn't because you, you know, spend an hour and a half clearing the little stuff off. Oh, look, it's time for my 11 o'clock meeting. You go to your 11 o'clock meeting, you get out, you're like, oh, I'm hungry. I'm going to go eat my lunch. And you come back, you know, you check through your email again. It's, you know, 2 o'clock, you're right in that slump, right? And that's when you're trying to tackle your, you know, task that requires all this brain power. So if, if you are a sort of 
standard person who has more energy and discipline in the morning, you are better off tackling that big task that's going to require your brain power first. And then you can do those little things that don't require as much brain power later in the day when you don't have as much brain power, right? So any sort of, you know, returning standard emails, um, check-in meetings, right? Like if it's a meeting where you're not deciding the course of your business for the next year, like don't put it at 8.30 a.m. Like if you're checking in, like, oh, let's see, is everyone still doing their jobs? Oh, look at that. Everyone is still doing their jobs. Don't put that meeting first thing in the morning. That's the meeting you could have at three o'clock because nobody needs their full energy um, to, to do that. Um, you also want to make sure you are taking breaks. We all do take breaks. We just don't necessarily take them consciously. Um, and so if you want to have a good rhythm for a, a productive day, you want to proactively plan in your breaks during the time when your energy is going to dip. Um, why yes. are those so difficult to schedule? Because you, you actually just rolled in with my, one of my other questions is that I know it's important to take breaks, but it is really hard to do that. <laughs> well, I think you have to look at your schedule for the day and sort of block it out and say, okay, well, you know, this is when I have my meetings and calls. Um, this is the time that I have other than that. When, here's where I'm planning to do X project and Y project. And here's, you know, an hour for administrative stuff and say, well, where can I sort of force in 10 minutes, you know, in the morning, maybe 10 minutes mid-afternoon and then uh, a 30 minute lunch break or so. Um, it, it's, you know, it's not that hard to, to find an hour of space. I mean, people definitely spend an hour of time during their day, not on work tasks. The question is just like, can you, consciously recognize that that's what you're doing and take a real break instead. And if you can see like, oh yeah, I come back from my meeting and I don't have another one for an hour and I want to do this stuff, but you know, you're going to spend the first 15 minutes cycling through those random transition rituals, like just scrolling through email, not really answering anything, checking, I don't know, the weather, the news apps, like people do that. That's, that's a break. That is a break, but it just doesn't make you feel very rejuvenated. So if you, can see as you look at the landscape of your day, yeah, that's probably what I'm going to come out of X meeting doing. Then you say, well, what if I consciously like called my spouse during that time? Or if you're working from home, right? Like go find the person and say hello for a minute or um, go walk around outside for 10 minutes. Um, you know, anything that would, would be more rejuvenating than, than checking news apps. So how, how long in, in the research that you've done on this, how long does it normally take somebody to start getting into a rhythm or a better rhythm now that, you know, we've been, you know, doing work from home for, you know, potentially 18 plus months now, like, is there, is there a time frame that, that people should expect to take to get to, you know, where they're at today to where they want to be with this tomorrow? I mean, I don't think it has to take that long. I, definitely working from home is a skill, but we've all been doing it now for a while, or at least a reasonable number of people have been doing it now for a while. And so they've got the basics down. Um, it's, it's just putting some thought into it. And if you try to build new habits, um, usually you can do so in a couple of weeks. And, and so, you know, consciously choosing to do that and to work differently and with a little bit more uh, mindfulness uh, for the next few weeks, you could, you could really change things up quite a bit and, and be in a much better place, you know, within a month or so. One of the, the things that you touched on already that I, I wanted to ask as well in reading the book is um, 
you, you brought up this idea of how we can bring little adventures into our day and working from home. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Maybe give us a, a couple of examples. Yeah. Well, I mean, one of the things that people really suffered from in the beginning of the pandemic is feeling like they never left their houses. Um, and so sort of days bleeded into each other. You, you didn't know what day it was. Was it the weekend? Was it the weekday? Who even knows? Because you're just in the same place constantly. And, you know, that might have made sense in the first few weeks of the pandemic when nobody really knew what was going on. But, you know, we've reached a point where that's that's not necessarily the case. I mean, people are going out and about and doing stuff. Um, and since that is the case, um, you can choose to put little adventures into your life in order to make days different from each other. And you don't have to do something every single day. But I think aiming for at least like one little adventure a week can be just, you know, a little bit of spice to life. Um, so, you know, take advantage of the flexibility that you have. You're working from home, you can come and go perhaps a little bit easier without anyone commenting on it as they might have if you were at the office. Um, maybe it's going to a museum near you, a small museum during you, near you that's only open from nine to three, right? And, and so now you could go for, for 45 minutes in the middle of the day, one day a week, you know, just go do that as something. Or maybe it's, you know, going for a run somewhere interesting, uh, you know, start work a little bit later or end a little bit earlier to go do that one day per week. Uh, meet a friend for lunch. These are all things you can do just to make the weeks a little bit different. Give you something to look forward to, something out of the ordinary that makes you remember where the time has gone. So I'd like to kind of pivot now and talk about your, your TED Talk. And, and like I said, I'll link to this in the, in the show notes. Um, and one of the things that, that I really took away from, from that is this, this phrase that you had, we don't build the lives we want by saving time. Can you unpackage that for us a little bit more detail? Yeah. So I think a lot of people, when they come to the topic of, of time management, people become obsessed with these little life hacks. Like, you know, how can I do something in slightly less time? Um, you know, and I'm sure you've heard all of these ridiculous ones like, you know, clean the shower while you're in it. Um, <laughs> soak your pasta before you boil it so it takes less time to boil. Um, you know, one that somebody told me once, if, if you send a lot of emails where the answer is OK, just type K instead of OK. You know, it's, it's like, OK, great. Like we have saved ourselves a minute in the course of the day doing that. Like what happened? Like, did we do anything with that minute? Like, did we change our lives into something wonderful in that minute. Like you don't build the life you want by saving little bits of time here and there. Instead, it is really important to build the life you want. And then time tends to take care of itself. I know I am so much more efficient on things that I don't really care about when I am deeply involved in a project I'm excited about. Like if I'm writing a book and getting really into it, I spend shockingly less time in my inbox whether I'm saying K or OK in my emails, right? It has nothing to do with it. It's just that I'm, I'm naturally faster because I don't want to be doing it. I want to be doing something else. Or, you know, if you have really exciting plans after work with a friend, like chances are you're going to be very efficient getting through your work. Um, and, and it's the same with all our time. Like, you know, people are like, how could I put something else in our life? Well, you, you put something that you care about in and everything else will kind of go around it. Um, time turns out to be fairly elastic in that regard. So uh, instead of, you know, telling people to try and be more efficient here and there, I say, you know, just start with the good stuff. Start with what you really want to be doing. 
um, that's meaningful or enjoyable for yourself and the people you care about. And probably you you will find a quicker way to, you know, clean the kitchen counter. (laughs) Let me stay there for, for your, on, on the topic of a book for a second. So when you're writing, cause you've, you've written multiple books. So when you, when you're in the throes of, of doing the research and writing the book, do you, do you just shut everything off to the world? I guess as much as you can, like, what's that process? Like, that's, a, that's the one thing I've had several writers on the podcast over the last year and a half. And it, this, this just always fascinates me on how people, um, especially writers, you know, set up their lives to focus on getting this done because writing a book is challenging. Yeah. I mean, well, I, my life is not such that I could completely focus on, on getting it done. I mean, I have five children and, um, you know, over the past year and a half, we've bought and renovated a historic house. I mean, there's just all sorts of, I have my podcasts, everything else that's going on. Um, so no, I am not off in a tower somewhere writing a book. Um, but you can write a book in, you know, the focus time that you do have. Um, so I've been working on a book for the past year or so. I did a um, time to, a research project to come up with the data for the book and a lot of the, the material for it. Um, and I had that. And I had an outline, like I created an outline. And then I set a schedule for myself over a couple of months for writing it. So I did, you know, the introduction one week, and then the next week I wrote chapter one, and then the next week I wrote chapter two, and then I put in a buffer week so I could catch up or I could, and I could go back and edit that first three bits. And then I put in, you know, write chapter three, four, five, put in a buffer week, go back and edit six, seven, you know, and so forth like that. Um, and, and sure enough, I did in fact finish when I kept to that schedule. So, uh, it's, it's pretty straightforward. And within that week, you know, if I'm like, okay, I'm writing this chapter this week, I would try to crank out the draft Monday and Tuesday. I would leave Monday and Tuesday mornings pretty much open. And I would try to crank out a draft during those two times. Um, Thursday, Wednesday and Thursday would be for editing. Friday is the buffer day, right? So if I lost time earlier in the week, I could go and fix it, you know, during, during that time. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what the process looked like. And, and going back to my conversation with, with Dan Pink on this topic, Dan was, was very adamant. He's like, I have to really want to write about this topic. I really want to enjoy this. I really want to deep dive into this because like Dan told me he could spend like years, you know, researching, um, you know, the topic, um, or, or, or yeah, the topic for, you know, the books that he's working on. Do you, do you find something similar, Laura, in, in, deci- in how you decide that this is the topic I want to go after? Uh, well, it's all been sort of time related for uh, in the past several books. Um, so, yes, I know I already love this topic. The question is finding a new angle. Um, that I think will keep my attention and that will keep my readers' attention because I certainly don't want to waste their time. Um, that would be the worst ever to have a time management book waste your time. Uh, so yeah, it needs to be an angle that I am excited about. Um, but I, you know, I think when you've got good material, it, it, it becomes pretty easy to be excited about it. And, and so then you are able to just write and to you know crank out a draft that's okay and then you make it better. Um, and that's a really fun process too. One of one of the things I do want to come back to on on the TED Talk um, is the hot water heater uh, <laughs> story that you told. Can you can you retell that for our audience and 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 I'll just let you tell it. But my main focus is your point. I think was 
people have more time than they really think. Yeah, well, this is a, a st- I've had, you know, thousands of people track their time for me and I have them keep track of their time on a spreadsheet for the week. And this woman showed me her time log and it had a very interesting event on it that, you know, she was a very busy person, um, you know, two kids, job in finance. She had gone out for a Wednesday night for something and comes home to find that her water heater has broken. And so there's now water all over her basement. Um, you know, and I've explained this to people if people aren't homeowners, it's, it's just a mess. Like, right, you've got 75 gallons of water all over your basement floor. And it happens, like it happens, you know, once every 12 years and you need to like change out your water heater before that happens. Anyway, she did not. So there's water all over her floor. Um, and so her time log shows her having to deal with this. Um, you know, the immediate aftermath at night, the next day, the plumbers, the day after that, the professional cleaning crew, because again, there's water all over her basement, ruining all her carpet, her furniture, et cetera. Um, so her time log shows her dealing with this and it winds up taking seven hours of her week, which is kind of an interesting number because I feel like every article on time I read is something like, we're going to help our readers, our viewers, our listeners find an extra hour in the day, right? Which if you think about it is seven hours in the week and like, hey, She found seven hours in her week to deal with this water heater. But, you know, we talked about it and said, well, if we'd had this conversation at the start of the week and said like, hey, let's find seven hours, right? Let's find seven hours to train for a triathlon or in a read through a quarter of war and peace or whatever it is that she wanted to do. Like she would not have been able to find the time. Like, you know, busy woman, she's not going to find seven hours like magically sitting there like fruit on a tree. Um, So, you know, it was that when she had to find the time, she found the time. And so what I tell people is that we want to treat our priorities as the equivalent of that broken water heater, right? We choose to get to them first because they're, you know, 75 gallons of water all over our basement floor. Like we have to get to them. We're treating them with that sense of urgency. And when we do, we will find those seven hours, right? Everything else will just go somewhere else. I don't know. Maybe we'll push it forward. Maybe we'll spend less time on it. Maybe we'll find someone else to do it. Maybe we'll decide it never really had to happen in the first place. Hard to know. Um, but uh, that's what we want to do. That, that is really the secret to time management. And, uh, you know, from that, the, the one takeaway that I had from that as well is when you say I don't have time, it really, you're really saying it's not a priority. Yep. That's pretty much it. <laughs> I mean, because, well, you look at it this way. I mean, many of the things people claim they do not have time to do. If you suddenly offered to give them a big wad of cash to do, um, they would they would find the time, right? And so, you know, I I don't have time to cook dinner tonight. Hey, I've got a deal for you. Like, if I pay you two thousand dollars, will you cook dinner? Like, okay, sure. You know, it's like, well, so it's not that you didn't have the time, right? is that there were other things competing for your time and attention and you have decided that those needed to be a higher priority. Now, if something happened, like again, you're offered a giant wad of cash for something that might raise that priority up more. Like suddenly that would be more important than other things you were planning to do at that time. Um, But again, it's all a matter of priority. Now, again, this doesn't mean that there aren't, you know, even if time is a choice, it doesn't mean that there aren't consequences for making different choices. Like, oh, I, I can't just not show up at work. Well, you can, right. There's just going to be consequences to doing that. Um, and, and many of those consequences are not ones we are willing to accept. And so we need to, you know, realize that and, and decide, well, okay, 
But a great many things in life, you know, even if we are not happy with them currently, if we give ourselves six months, a year, we could probably come up with something else uh, and, and some other situation and set up some other scenario that, that would allow us to spend more time in the way we want. So, you know, I invite people to start viewing their time as more of a choice and see how that idea sits with you. Um, because even if there are circumstances where you really do need to do something, um, having that mindset allows us to feel far more autonomous and far more in control of our time. And we start to make, you know, more mindful choices, um, over the big chunks of discretionary time that do exist. So the, the last topic I want to touch on this and kind of comes from your TED talk as well, but it actually ties in nicely with, you know, choosing time choosing what you want to do with that time. And one of the things that you noted was, when is a good time to do this? And you said, Friday afternoon. <laughs> kind, of ex- kind of explain Friday afternoon because I actually do that as well. Um, and, and talk about how you, you laid out a, you know, on a piece of paper these three categories where you have your career, relationships, and yourself and how you bucket and manage that. Yeah, so I think um, it, it behooves many of us um, to plan our lives in weeks. And because a week tends to be the repeating cycle of life as we actually live it. Like if you watched you for a week, you would get a good picture of your life. Now, if you just watched you on Tuesday, you wouldn't get a complete picture of your life because, you know, Saturday, Sunday, often very different from Tuesday. But a week, you get a, you get a pretty good picture of it. Um, it helps to plan time before we are in it. So we want to plan the week before we are actually in that week. Um, so I find that Friday afternoon has a lot going for it. Um, most people are not doing much of consequence by Friday afternoon. If you work a Monday through Friday schedule, many people are kind of sliding into the weekend at that point. It is very difficult to start anything new. Um, but if that time would otherwise be wasted, um, you may as well repurpose it for planning the week ahead, right? Turns what would be wasted time into some of your most productive minutes of the week. Um, it also allows you to hit Monday morning ready to go. I know a lot of people plan their weeks on Monday morning, but that means that you've lost the Monday morning energy for execution on stuff that, you know, to planning. And, and so you can't really get started on stuff till Tuesday or, you know, if you're trying to set up meetings, they won't happen until Tuesday or later. Whereas if you set them on Friday, you can use the whole week. Um, so anyway, uh, you know, I, the three categories, career, relationship, self, you think about the upcoming week, think, well, what are my top priorities in these categories? Like, what would I most like to get done, um, most like to have happen in these categories for the upcoming week? And the reason to make a three category priority list is that it reminds us that there should be something in all three categories. Uh, I know a lot of people when they're planning their week, they're like, okay, here's my work week. I've got, you know, my, what I need to do for that. And it's like, okay, anything else? Like is, you're, you're going to be at work, what, you know, 40, 50 hours of 168. Like there's some other time. And I'm not saying you need to plan every minute outside of work. You don't need to send like calendar invites for family dinner or anything like that. But, you know, having some intentions will greatly increase the chances that you use this time in ways that you know, would be enjoyable right? would be fun for you, your family, your friends, your community, all that. Um, so, so set some priorities for your relationships, set some priorities for yourself. Look at your calendar for the upcoming week. Figure out roughly when you can do these things. Um, you know, put them in, figure out the logistics. And then if you do this, 
like you have massively increased the chances of the things that matter to you getting done. Well, I think that is a really great way to wrap up um, our conversation on this new corner office and time management. So, and it, it I, I hope for our, our audience that, you know, your, your expertise and enthusiasm for this topic really, you know, comes out. Cause I can, I can tell just by listening and seeing you via zoom, uh, you know, you're really, um, uh, you're really after helping people with this, which is, I greatly appreciate. And I've, I've learned so much from, from your work over the years. Um, so with that said, I, I want to get to my closing question, which uh, for you is very apropos considering you have five children is what is the best thing about being a parent? Well, I think what's really cool is seeing these new, you know, these people in your life that, you know, you had, like you gave birth to or your partner did. And so they're part of you guys, but they are their own little people. I mean, they are completely individuals in their own right. And they're in your life and you get to know them. And like, that's wonderful that you have made people who can now be your community um, and be a community with each other. Like, I love watching the siblings together, knowing that they're going to have a relationship um, for, for the rest of their lives, hopefully, and, and have, you know, formed that in my household. Um, but we'll take that out when they, when they launch themselves from, from my household. So, yeah, I've, I've really, especially as my kids have gotten older, I've enjoyed just, you know, chatting with them, learning about their lives, their interests, and, um, you know, helping where I can. But ultimately, everyone has to sort of figure things out on their own. So, um, you know, and mom says that it probably isn't true, right? So Right. <laughs> we're, we're starting yeah. that phase right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, no, and they're 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 wonderful people. So I'm really enjoying um, getting to know them as they come into their own. Yeah, that's you know this is this is by far the year and a half I've been doing the podcast. Obviously, I close with this question. Uh, it's obviously my favorite, but the um, wide range of answers and responses. You know, everybody's a, you know gives a different response, and I take away something from that in every conversation. I just find it really interesting because. You know, I, I never set out to have, you know, a big family of four, you know, including a set of triplets, but, you know, life happens. Uh, but it, it, uh, it's definitely changed uh, my life. And, you know, here we are, Teresa and I, trying to take things one day at a time. And, you know, 11 years later, here we are. So, yeah, no, it's true. Well, and I guess the triplets, you get to experience a lot of the same milestone sort of concurrently, right? It's, uh, yes. And you know, you've, it's, got one, you've got one other too. So it's not that you get, everything about the milestone and then you move on and you never get to it again. I guess you've, you've had a, you get at least two stops on each. each yeah. And, and to your point too, it's like, they, I get the question, well, the triplets, they must be all the same. Like they're all the same personalities. I'm like, no, they're all, they're all individuals. Oh. You know, yes. they, they are, they're uniquely human in each yeah, of their own no, way. I just find this funny because I mean, people are their own people. And I, I remember back in the whole like cloning thing, like there was a, a big bioethics debate or whatever. And people were like, well, the clone, it would be the exact same person as you. I was like, well, do you not think like, if you have an individual, an identical twin, like that person is not you. Right. <laughs> like they have their own mind, soul, interests, whatever else. They are not you. <laughs> like, and so, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know where we get this idea. Or people sometimes go into parenthood thinking that they're like, they're mini me. And it's like, no, no, no. 
Yeah, no, <laughs> this person no. Is so not you. It may be somewhat you in some ways, but in many ways, no. Well, Laura, I can't thank you enough for your time um, and being on the Emotional Balance Sheet podcast. We will definitely put a link to the New Corner Office, your book, um, your TED Talk, which has been viewed over 12 million times, which is utterly amazing. Um, is there anywhere else that people should go to to find your work? Well, if you come visit my website, which is lauravandercam.com, you can find out all about my books, um, my podcasts, Before Breakfast, which is a short every weekday morning tip on how to take your day from great to awesome um, and best of both worlds, which is about combining work and family um, from the perspective of people who love both. So hopefully people can check those out. Great. We'll link to that as well. Thanks, Laura. We look forward to talking to you soon. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Please visit TamaCapital.com to subscribe to this podcast or to connect with certified financial planner and registered investment advisor, Paul Fenner of Tama Capital. And please join us again next time on the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Mm-hmm.